Lucy's out pissed. Lucy's out pissed. Raise a glass. It's <laughs> very much an opening to Hamilton. Raise a glass to piss them. <laughs> Pista resistance, sacred blur, says Tempo C play. Oh no. Oh, I can't pronounce French things, I should just stop trying. Welcome back to, uh, they did what? They did what? I'm sorry, they did what? <laughs> I'm Rhiannon. I'm Mitch. And today we are going to be talking to you about Egyptian mummies. So I feel like we should start, Mitch, with explaining uh, the origin of the word mummy. Oh, from the word mummia. Yeah. And the Greeks just not understanding mummification at all. Mm -hmm. I also got Mitch to do that because I can't pronounce the word. I really suck at pronunciation. I get very close to pronunciating <laughs> the word. Pronunciating. But... <laughs> So yes, so it's not an Egyptian word. Neither, of course, is the word Egypt. Uh, that is also a Greek word, just thrown in there. The Egyptians called their country Kemet. So, yeah. That was really fun, and we'll see you next <laughs> week. <laughs> now, that's just one of those weird spots where we don't have a joke for that. Yeah, it, no. just, it just is. Mm -hmm. um, no, but mumia comes from, um, I think it's, it's Herodotus? Yeah, Who's sort of just like, ah, and the Egyptians would cover themselves in bitumen and tar <laughs> to preserve the bodies. The best part being, this led to the Persians eventually taking Egyptian bodies at one point and boiling them in vats to try and melt the bitumen and tar back off them because it would be cheaper to do that than it would be to source it naturally. Do you know what's really bad about that? What? This episode is about, like, bad things done to Egyptian mummies. And I thought we were just going to stick to the last few hundred years. And we just came rolling out of the gate with that one. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, some of these are going to go back a significant portion in history to mm. people still using them that way. But yeah, we are mostly going to focus on, between the two of us, the last couple hundred years. Yeah. I do want to throw in two medieval facts, though, Absolutely. about the misuse of Egyptian bodies. <laughs> and it has to do with the English and the French. <laughs> These are before we get to the modern, why would you do that kind of thing. Yes. Um, so the other thing about Egyptian mummies, I feel like it's, a lot of people don't know why they mummify. You know, they're all in like, why would you do that to your bodies? Or, or every single one of them has to be pharaoh. Mm, which is not the case. Not at all. So for the Egyptians, they believed in a bodily resurrection, uh, same as the early Christians. <laughs> That has changed now. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, so to have a bodily resurrection, your body needs to be preserved. Because otherwise, that's going to be a weird resurrection when you're just a bunch like a... <laughs> Keeping in mind that they did have a failsafe for that, which was that you could infuse the other parts of your being into your sarcophagus. And if your sarcophagus was destroyed, they could be infused into one of the shabdi that had been donated to your burial and resurrection and service in the next world. They really were the sort of old world Germans, like very sort of neat, orderly, sort of like, this is how this works, this is how this works, and if I don't have A, I have B, and if I don't have B, I have C, and if C doesn't happen, well, it's not worth going into the afterlife. <laughs> 
life as well, you had to be buried in Egypt, which is important to note when we do talk about mummies and taking them out of Egypt, because we're all, nowadays we're all talking about respecting the mummies, you know, when they're put on display, it's with a lot of respect for the person inside. Mm. And people are like, oh, their name's being said, so they're still getting an afterlife, but they're not in Egypt. <laughs> yeah. It's also one of the big reasons why the Egyptian empire sort of bubbles out for a really short period of time and everyone who is Egyptian and considers themselves Egyptian is like yeah no this doesn't work for me I have to spend a lot more money on dying than I would naturally have to if we were still back in Egypt Egypt yeah and it's fascinating to think about how that has affected the region around Egypt mm. if they didn't have that belief system yeah would they have conquered would they have made a massive empire yeah Whereas instead they'd be like, oh, we're going to go march to this place and we've conquered them. We're going to march back to Egypt now. Yeah. We'll go back next year and get some tribute. It really is the equivalent of the Romans getting to Britain and going, right, we've conquered you. Oh, 7,000 of us have died. That's going to take a lot of effort to ship back to Rome and bury them in Italy. Mm. Like, it just... Beliefs like that in empires don't seem to mix no. very well <laughs> at all. Um, unless you're the Great Khan, in which case, yes, you can conquer enough of Asia and Europe that no matter what happens on your death, they will take you back to the steppes and you will be buried the way you want to be buried. Mm. And everyone who knows about it will be executed so you can never be found. Mm. Yeah, we're going to get into uh, the great <laughs> Khan Chengis or Genghis, depending on where you learnt about him eventually. But for now, Egyptian mummification. Yes. <laughs> Not any other kind of mummification. No. So where should we start? I do want to start with these medieval ones first. Okay. Because much like the Persian ones, they are misinterpretations of this concept of the ancient world talking about cultures that were not their own. Yeah. So it's um, one of the Charleses mm -hmm. um, in England. And the one who got beheaded? Or the no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Francis of mm -hmm. France. Francis was an avid sort of believer in the esoteric and the occult to the level that Christianity allowed him to be at the time. Right. And the belief was very much so for all European monarchs that like Egypt was real, yes, because clearly the you know Hebrews had been there as slaves, not a fact. <laughs> <laughs> they were never enslaved by Egypt, but hey, <clears throat> um, but that the mummification and the preservation of Egyptian bodies, which they knew about, mm -hmm. had been done by pre-Christ magic. Magic that no longer existed in the world with the coming of Christ. Right. But that magic that existed, God had allowed to stay there because it was the magic of not knowing. They didn't know they were doing the wrong thing, and then Jesus told them all, hey guys, you're doing the wrong thing, and magic ceased to exist everywhere outside the church. Okay. That's the medieval belief. Mm -hmm. So it means that Francis and Charles both believe that Egyptian bodies are infused with magic. The magic to preserve. I think I know where this is going. <clears throat> I don't think I'm going to like it. <laughs> nope, not really. Francis had a couple of bodies shipped to his castles. Mm -hmm ground into a fine powder, mm -hmm. which we're going to see happen a couple times yep. throughout history, yep. <laughs> and they would be added to his breakfast wine. The belief being that the magic 
found inside these ground-up Egyptian remains would make him impervious to assassination. Oh, honey. Not just by poisoning. Any kind of assassination. Stabbing him, shooting him, drowning him, smothering him, slitting his throat, throwing him overboard while he's wearing his armor if you meant to do it, (laughs) and the possibility of being poisoned through his food and wine. Right. Um, (laughs) I wish I had that kind of faith in something. I mean, there's a reason they referenced a lot of the medieval and migration period as the Dark Ages. Mm. <laughs> for the lack of knowledge, not the yeah. lack of light. <laughs> Except for that one year. That oh, that one year. Mm. That horrible, horrible year. Yes. Um, We're not joking, by the way, on that one. Yeah, there is a year where there's pretty much no light yeah. across Europe. Yeah, and like crops failed. It's horrible yeah. for everyone. Yeah, the, the, the end of days were coming, according to everyone who lived through it. Which, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think so too. A like, little bit worse than 2020 was. Yes. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yes. Um, the best part being that Charles knew of Francis's um, sort of... Um, cannibalism. I, mean, I, I don't want to say scientific experiments, and I don't want to say cannibalism yet either. Okay. Because it is cannibalism, yes. It is cannibalism. Yes. <laughs> and it's not science. It's... Uh, let's go with alchemy. Christian okay. alchemy. Yeah. And Charles was like, that makes sense. You're looking to take the magic out of it. But you're a Frenchman, so you're an idiot. (laughs) I, as the king of England, know that that's not how you do it. Mm -hmm. You use it in two different ways. One to preserve the way you look and your youth, and one to preserve your insides. So he had two different kinds of remedy created. One was for his skin. One was for his digestion. So that one might be of interest to you. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll stick to the hypnotherapy and the not eating garlic. The one for his skin was the the ground up mummy powder. That made sense. That was intelligent. That was what good Christian science said you were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But you weren't supposed to mix it with alcohol. You were supposed to mix it with goose fat and rub it onto your skin at night. I mean, the goose fat fits with the Egyptians. And it's a very harsh, rough powder. So mm. it's an exfoliating cream. Yeah. Accidentally. Yeah. The best part being, though, that his images in his iconography seem to age the fastest. <laughs> out of all the royals yeah. that sit the throne. Whichever mummies he, he was using were like, nope, not today. <laughs> the other one he had was that he would mix it with different root vegetables and use it as Pepto-Bismol. So if he had an upset stomach from having gorged himself too heavily, he would have another meal where different root vegetables and sometimes fruits would be mashed together with the mummy powder to help settle his stomach. Like, the levels of ridiculous that are necessary for yeah. someone in the court to go, Ah, but sire, I know how to help you with your fiery poops. <laughs> May I suggest cannibalism? <laughs> not the modern kind, the ancient kind. Mm. It's fine, it's fine. They're, they're practically not bodies anymore. They come from Africa. We in Europe can eat them without worry. To be clear, 
that was a genuine belief at one point that things could be done by Europeans to people from Africa under the guise of Christianity, and it did not count as a sin or a crime and would not be punished by God. Wow, who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't lead to some other very problematic stuff later. No, not at all. <laughs> that's, that's our benchmark. That's where oh, we're God. starting the rest of this episode at. Is this is how Europe was treating people hundreds to over a thousand years ago because we have to keep in mind mummies are people yes they're not objects they're not things they're human beings mm -hmm. they are burials it's what makes those and the rest of the list we're gonna go through kind of a little terrifying yeah it's horrifying the way that they were not treated as people no not at all no no and especially, so some of the first grave robbings, before they realised there was actually um, some benefit to having the mummies as well. Mm. You'd see them just stealing all the gold off the bodies, destroying the body. <laughs> yep. Like, there was no care given to the mummies. No. And that's... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. why we want to talk about this. Because yeah. it's, it's not something you get in high school or in university very often where you talk about the ethics of the misuse mm. of mummified Egyptian remains. Yeah. You talk about the ethics of modern viewership and modern, I'm saying this in heavy air quotes, ownership mm. of the person's body. But not so much like where all the ones that we know had to exist that no longer exist have gone. Mm. This is a culture that is thousands of years old that does mummification for thousands of years there should be millions upon millions of these bodies mm. and there really are not and most of them go missing in the last 350 to 400 years yeah. <clears throat> mainly because of Europeans mm. which is why I made the joke earlier <laughs> that in the medieval period they're like ah we can do whatever we like and then in the colonial into the early modern, that's still the European thought process when it comes to Egypt and mummified bodies. Yeah. So we're going to do the creepy scale. Yes. This is the way I love teaching it when I have like school groups or I'm tutoring someone. Start at the bottom of the creepy scale and work our way all to the top. And you know, you guys can write in later and tell us if you think we got the creepy scale different to how you would have put it <clears throat> or if you would have put things in between things mm. on the creepy scale that we haven't talked about this time because yeah. we are doing sort of like not everything that's happened yeah. but our top eight mm. the ones we talk about the most when we're teaching or doing something like this yeah yeah do you want to start us off um no you can start okay all right <laughs> <clears throat> that's right the least creepy thing we did was have museums and universities purchase bodies mm -hmm. to study them academically with proper rigor. And when I say that, I mean starting in the 1910s. Yeah. Anything before that, I am not classifying <laughs> under this. Study. Everything before that is very much study in big heavy quotations with a very questionable underlining. But I do literally mean studying the bodies, in some sections dissecting them, but photographing them as bandages are cut or unraveled, um, documenting pieces that come out as sort of people see what's in the other layers, 
trying to identify gender, trying to identify age, not coming to ludicrously racist conclusions like they had been in the 17 and 1800s about the bodies they were unwrapping. And even going up to the modern day, looking at scans that were done in the last 110, 120 years, looking at all that and still trying to study with them. So I'm actually classifying today as well in that this is the least creepy way we desecrate their remains mm -hmm. in every country, everywhere, <laughs> is by studying them. Yeah. And one of the things about today studying them at least is most places won't uh, do anything that involves destruction. Yeah. Unless there is like unless the body itself is already being not destroyed is the word I'm after, is already kind of falling apart. If there's a chance that you can save it, but you have to do something invasive, mm -hmm. that's probably when it's going to happen. But yep. no one's taking a fully unwrapped mummy nowadays and going, let's see what's underneath without using a CT scanner. Yeah. yeah, so especially because we know techniques have gotten so much better oh, recently, so much better. and they're going to keep getting better, that most places will be like, well, if we don't have to destroy this, we won't, because A, it's person, but B, there'll be a technique in 10 years time that can yeah. do something, see into it. And like even what we've got now with those beautiful scans they can do from like the inside, oh, like layer by Every layer. slice and layer, yeah. Finding the things. And like even like in the last year, changing our perception on some of the burial techniques, mm. looking at the difference between mud and resin carapaces. Yeah. That's like something that isn't going to be found in earlier study. But it's still a creepy thing. Sending a mummy off to be CT scanned in the same machine that another person who is living <laughs> may get CT scanned in in the same day. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so yes, that's studying mummies. Yeah, that, um, that's our baseline of the creepy scale. I'm actually going to give you uni lectures because I really <clears> want to talk about the one after that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, w I will give you the one after <laughs> that. Because the uni lectures is... Almost the same as sort of studying them, but on a slightly different level. Because there's a level of recycling that goes into that. And there's a level of personal ownership of the dead, mm -hmm. which is very questionable by modern standards. So if you're going to university in the very late 17 and throughout the 1800s and for a little bit in the early 1900s, and you want to study the ancient world, um, archaeology as it's starting to be born, ancient history, the classics, even such topics as they were classified the Orient or yep. peoples of the Mediterranean basin, mm -hmm. not sea, basin. <laughs> um, and in some cases, especially in Scotland and other areas where they have very good surgical schools, surgery, anatomy and anthropology, there was a very good chance that at some point during your degree, you were going to have a mummy unwrapping lecture. Mm. It wasn't always a new mummy each time. In some cases, it was the same mummy used year after year after year and simply rewrapped and changed ever so slightly. So it's this weird sort of rewritten history that's happening. Mm. But a lot of the time, this wasn't something that the university funded. It was something the professor doing the lecture funded themselves. They bought the mummy themselves, or they requisitioned a mummy and got to keep any of the findings that they made when they unwrapped the bandages. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Lapis. Lazuli. Yeah, lapis. Lazuli. Lazuli. One of the favorite ones was actually um, unpolished emerald. 
They didn't have the quality of tool to polish emeralds, so you got these weird chunks of <laughs> semi-formed emerald yeah. that were nowhere near as important to Egyptians as faience. But if you found them, ooh, polish it up, very expensive gemstone <laughs> that has come from an Egyptian mummy, mm. which leads to weird sort of uses of rubies and diamonds and emeralds in Hollywood mm. <laughs> when looking at Egyptians. <laughs> you know, things that could not be done physically. Um, but that would be a lecture. And then you'd have people who would watch the lectures who weren't students, they were just the uber wealthy. Mm who would then decide to travel the world and find mummies of their own for reasons that will become very apparent over the next six. Which I cannot wait to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the next one, so we're up to number three. Yes. Third wrong on the creepy ladder. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's fertilizer. So there is a really good example of, there was a shipment of thousands of cats Mm -hmm. of mummified cats that were sent to England to be ground up and used as fertiliser on people's lawn. Yeah. Which is just... Oh, guys, just use chicken poop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but keep in mind, like, cats and other animals were, like, mummified just as often as people. Yes. There are stories of mummified hippos. Mm. And crocodiles. A giraffe. Oh, I didn't know about that one. It's just whether or not it actually existed. There's reference of it being found and then suddenly not existing anymore. Like mm. most of the mummies that are being referenced in this. Um, and there are also quite a lot of uh, dog mummies. People tend to not know that because they weren't found as early as the cat mummies. Mm. But like, there was a whole graveyard found not that long ago. Oh, dog yeah. mummies. Yeah. And then there's the ibis and the hawks yes. and... I'm just still always amazed at the hippo mummy. Like, because hippos are borderline bulletproof by modern standards. Mm. That's a lot of effort to kill it, to mummify it, to leave it as an offering in a temple. That's true. And then, of course, the other one is the bull that was oh, sacrificed yes. every seven? No, it wasn't. 70 years. Yeah. Um, and it's actually where we get most of our info about mummification. Because they didn't write, write it down. You didn't need to. You were passing the skill on. Yeah. Uh, so the only written accounts that we have. Maybe we do have others, I shouldn't say funny. We've got a few others, yes. but the one of the mummification of the bull, this is, I think, the only one. Yes. Um, and it's been used to, to try modern mummification. Mm. Yeah. That's the account they've used. <coughs> so yes, yeah, so that's fertilizer. Uh, next up, we have <laughs> another very, I was going to say very problematic. They're all problematic. <laughs> They're all problematic. Boys. And they're getting more problematic yes. as we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, was they were used in train engines. So early trains, you may remember, <laughs> may remember, you may know, you may have read about, <laughs> may have seen it on a movie, were coal powered, they were steam engines. Yeah. And do you know what works really well as a fuel source? A dry body. <laughs> yeah, which is a little terrifying. Mm. And because they've been dry for so long, they don't smell. Yeah. Like that story you get of the smell of battlefields or sort of places where people have been cremated you're not getting that because there's no moisture in the body anymore yeah yes because that's how you make sure they stay mummified yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the i think yeah i've had students ask do mummies smell and it's like no 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 if the mummy smells something's very wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's a slight must but nothing yeah nothing of rot yes definitely not because 
removing the ability for the body to rot by mummifying it. Have you heard the expression around mummies in steam engines? No. It's give me a pharaoh over a commoner any day, they keep an engine running on time. <laughs> because of the amount of resin and stuff? Or? I have no idea, but do you, can you imagine how many mummies had to have been thrown mm. into locomotives for someone to come up with a folksy saying about which kinds of mummies burn better? I wonder if it's to do with the amount of wrapping. It might be, it might be because of the resin, or it might be the difference between, you know, commoners get the sand mummification, yeah. like if they're at the very bottom, that shove them in the sand, let it yes. leach the moisture out, wrap them slightly, chuck them somewhere. The opposite, you've got the unguents and the oils and the removal, and every, yeah. yeah, a lot more wrapping, definitely that resin for some of the earlier ones, mm. and some of the later ones, but none in the middle. Go figure. <laughs> But yeah, just this weird, and I don't think it's founded in anything other than I want to be famous by saying something about mummies and trains. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that all written? No, we're talking about mummies in other things as well. This guy yes, just true. trains. Just trains, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so. I think you can do this one because I really want to do the one after. No! We're going to do the one after together. Okay. I think well, you know I'll, more about this I'll one. do the other half of that that has to do with the fruit. Yes. And I'll do this one that's coming up. Yeah, okay. Sorry. We really didn't talk about who no. got to talk about what before we started this, but this is how life is sometimes. Okay. Another rung up on the creepy ladder. We're out of train engines and we're into the realm of interior decorating. Which we're talking about the Victorian period and all of that. Yes. Yeah? Which, for those who aren't aware, these are people who put, like, arsenic yeah. on, their, on their walls. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And putting lead on their faces, so... Yeah. This is, uh, the people we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this... To be fair, this kind of interior decorating was still being practiced up until the 40s by people in the archaeological and historical fields for their offices. You know, the people who should yeah. know better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is the process of um, either buying directly done for you in Egypt or having a body shipped over so you can use it in decorating your home, having a decapitated head of an Egyptian mummy mm -hmm. on your mantelpiece, having a set of mummified baby's feet in a bell jar on a mahogany wood base that sits on your desk in your study, yep. having a hand with a ring on oh, it. Oh, hand with a ring is always interesting. Mm -hmm. My favorites, however, are one English lord who had two coffee tables made of glass and timber. One which had a fully wrapped mummy and one which had a fully unwrapped mummy in it in the salon that he would use for entertaining guests. So this is kind of like if anyone's seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, a little bit. Eating, yeah. And then someone's just like, bam, look at what's in my table today, buddy. Yeah, it's a little bit like that, mm. but the accent is slightly more refined. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look what's in my table. Yes. <laughs> Um, the other one being, and it's not a mummy, but it is the use of a, um, a sarcophagus or a coffin, is a French aristocrat had a number of empty coffins shipped from Egypt, installed with shelves, and used for displaying his collections of brandy. If it wasn't a real coffin, I'd say that's a really cool decorating idea, but the fact that it yeah, was The fact that it coffin, was someone's coffin, and he's added 
shelves, mm. which means woodworking has been done on the inside of the thousands of years old coffins yes. to support his alcoholism. And to be clear, also, the thing about a coffin is it's not just like a piece of wood. No. You would have had a beautiful... I don't want to say artwork, it's not an artwork in the sense of something to look at. Iconography? Yeah, the iconography, it's got the story, it might have how they're getting to the afterlife, it might have protection, so many things could be... It's going to have the person's name on it somewhere, in many cases their profession in life, Mm -hmm. where they're from, um, indicators of their gender, which is really helpful to find out whether or not the mummy that comes with your coffin is the right one. And then of course (laughs) the fact that what happened to the mummy inside, are they in another coffin, which happened a lot... Have they been incinerated? Yes. (laughs) Did they get turned into something else that we get to? (laughs) (laughs) So we're getting closer to the sort of, oh my goodness, no, I didn't need to know that section. Um, We're going to do one more that's slightly more tame, and then we're going to get into the two worst ones. Yes. Um, Oh, and the other thing Mitch was talking about, sarcophagi and coffins. Yeah. Um, Really good for you guys just to know, coffins are wood. A sarcophagus is stone. Yeah. So you do not have a wooden sarcophagus. Yeah, you can have a coffin inside a sarcophagus, mm-hmm. and a sarcophagus can be the outer layer that still looks like the coffin underneath, but you can't have a sarcophagus made of wood. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we're now up to the mummy unwrapping parties. Now, I'm sure you all remember a game you played as a child. Not in every country, mind you. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, it's going to get interesting. A game that I played as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Which now has terrifying connotations for both of us, because we played it as children and then we learnt as adults what it really was. I mean, it's not surprising that both being from British um, countries, yeah. <laughs> that we have played this game. Um, that would make sense, a lot of other countries haven't played it. <laughs> so, pass the parcel. You know, parents put on some music and you're passing around a newspaper bundle, or it might be something else, my parents always use newspaper. And when the music stops, the person who's holding the parcel gets to take that layer of newspaper off, and there'll be a prize inside. Yeah. Usually something small. Yeah, a little toy. Yeah. Toy, some lollies or candy. Mm. Um, you know, something from the one or two dollar shop. Like, yeah. that was that was what it was back when we were little. Yes. Nowadays it's a little bit more <laughs> intense, or it's not done at all. Yeah. Because it's too expensive. Mm. Well, so my parents always did the final prize, Yeah. and I think this is pretty normal, was something pretty cool. Yeah, and it was usually for the birthday person. My parents didn't do that. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. And they gave me a great party. It, everywhere I went, if the party was at someone's home, the parents would find a way to make sure it landed on their child. No. My parents always gave it to another kid at the party. I think this, this explains a lot about you. <laughs> They were just making sure as an only child I learned I didn't always get the Oh, okay. I think that was there. That would explain a lot of the only childs I knew (laughs) growing up then. (laughs) Um, So, this game originates from mummy unwrapping parties. Remember those people that were watching the lectures who were then travelling the world? Well, they were buying things, most of which you can now see in either private collections or donations to major museums, Mm -hmm. like the British or the MFA places across the world that have been given things on people's death but the things that were just party favours were the mummies not the coffins not the statuary, not the jewellery it was the mummy and so the little trinkets that we're talking about the lollies or whatnot that you get in Pass Parcel 
Well, in the mummy, that would be the amulets. That would be, as Mitch was saying earlier, like the emeralds and things like that. Yeah. That's what all the guests are finding and getting to keep. Yeah. You know Queen Victoria wrote about them in her diary? I think I have heard that, yes. Yeah. She, on one occasion, commented that they were quite enjoyable. <laughs> and one person has been found who was at that one and was like, it was horrible. She took all the presents. <laughs> Should we should we get to the real creepy? Well, yeah. How does the unwrapping party work though? Because it's you're finding them, but it's everyone taking turns undoing yes. the bandages themselves. Yes. Sorry, I just you glossed over that bit. I yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm offended by it. I don't think I need to say what I'm offended by. I thought I thought I talked about newspaper guys. <laughs> I was keeping it <laughs> keeping it easier for all of us. They unwrap it. Yeah. Just take all the bandages off. Yep. And it was one of the two things that you would look for at a party in the 1800s and the 1700s that proved that the party was going to be an absolute banger. <laughs> what was the other thing? The other thing was a pineapple. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I love this. Tell the people about the pineapples. If you went to a good party, it would have a mummy. If you went to a rager of a party, it had a mummy and a pineapple. And at the end of the evening, the mummy had been torn apart thrown into the trash, sold off to be turned into other things, and the pineapple in its glass case, commonly with a security guard, mm -hmm. would be passed around, you would ooh and ah at it, and it would be taken home. You would rent a pineapple yeah. for a party. Yes. It's why I've always told people who ask, like, oh, if you had to travel back in time, you know, how would you make do? Buy like a good <laughs> 500 kilos of pineapples and just show up in the middle of a royal household with them in the 1700s. I don't know that I'd go with that many. I don't want to flood the market. Oh, I'm going to flood the market in each household. Topple each different economy. Because <laughs> they're not connected at that point. That's like showing up to the Dutch with like just a bunch of tulips. Like, what's up? I bought these yesterday for five dollars. <laughs> How much are you willing to pay? Turning up in Rome with some glass. Oh. <laughs> right, is that it? No, no, just a tin of purple paint. Ooh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I just roll up, like, a purple veil, purple dress, purple shoes. Oh, red boots, red boots. Red boots? Red boots. Ooh, Kings wear red boots. Okay. Yeah, I just roll up my fan and be like, what's up? I have more material here a really good one if we're talking about pigments um and this actually leads back to egypt at the point where the etruscans and the egyptians are trading with each other and we're looking at sort of trying to link into the time period for the trojan war and everything mm -hmm. good quality black pigment that doesn't wash out mm -hmm. and doesn't require urine to keep it in the um fabric yeah is what you're looking for instead of black uh, instead of purple sorry it's black and then purple. Because mm. so, purple is much harder to make, so it's always going to be a lot more expensive and you're going to have a very small market. Yes. Black, yes, is more common. you've got a lot more people who can afford it if you can do it well and they don't have to keep getting it re-dyed. Yeah, makes sense. Sell the one and done object. Mm. So, yeah, uh, now, on pigments. <laughs> yes, on pigments. You can do this one because I want to end. Okay. Uh, we are talking about paint. So there is a colour, it still exists today, called mummy brown. 
or if you find it in Faber-Castell, Kmibrun. Mm, it was name. the original sort of name yeah. for it. Um, and it has this name because it was originally made with ground-up mummies. Now, if you do find this colour, it's not really a brown. It's no. more an orangey, burnt... It's got a reddish quality to yeah. it. Yeah. While still having an undertone of brown. Yes. Um, but yeah, so they ground up mummies and use them as paint. So there are like paintings in museums. Yeah. Made with dead bodies. Yep. Which is horrifying, but then also when you think about it, like a lot of natural pigments do come from not humans, but remains. Yeah, few fewer from humans. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. There's um like bone black. Mm which is a, a specific shade of black made by the carbon from burning bones. Yeah. Um, which I did not know for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> and then found out about it, and I was like, oh, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. Also raises the question, like, how do you treat those paintings? What do you classify them as if they've got mummy brown in them? Mm. Is it a person? Is it the painting? Or is it a burial? It's a really fun one, isn't it? Mm. And a terrifying one to have to think about at the yes. same time. <laughs> I know what's keeping me up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Just the mummy coming out of the painting next time you're in the Louvre. I was going to be like, are we going to sleep? I'm like, no. I can never sleep again. <laughs> Mitchell said something about paintings and now I can't sleep. <laughs> this next one, though, is the one that kept me up for a good 48 hours after I first learned about it. Because it's just stupid and terrifying and horrific all at the same time. Mm -hmm. We've talked about a couple of times people grinding mummies up into powder. They go into medieval alchemy. They go into paint. They get used in weird ways. The weirdest way is in the last 200 years and it's in medicine. And the problem goes back to that word that, can't, that we get the word mummy from, that mumia because it's both mummies and bitumen and tar. But there's a Persian remedy from roughly the same time that is medicinal, that uses bitumen and tar as a cleansing agent, like you would use activated charcoal now, to sort of flush the body out. Yeah. And if you're ancient Persian and ancient Greek, as an 18 and early 1900s apothecary, is not up to standard. <laughs> Knowing the difference between mumia and mumia that are pronounced the same, written the same, and look the same is slightly difficult. Which you've really got to wonder about people who did understand what they were reading. Yeah, that's Watching the terrifying these part. Dumb English people be like And French and German. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the English, also in America. Yeah. I shouldn't, no. Americans get very mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, 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 so quite literally we can separate it into two things, mm. at least from the sources I've seen. Yeah. There are two products that are very commonly made with this mummy, ground up mummy powder. One is literally mummy powder, not named because they wanted to tell people what was in it, but because it was based on an ancient archaic Egyptian remedy. Yeah, because the ancient Egyptians definitely ground each other up and ate them, like... Yeah. The other was mummy tonic. Now, mummy powder was more common in Europe. Mm -hmm. Mummy tonic was more common in the Americas. Okay. 
and the difference between them is terrifying and indicative of both cultures. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy tonic is the less terrifying of the two. It is a tonic, as it sounds, so it's just a bottle of liquid, and the ingredients in it are formaldehyde, which you use for preserving yeah. corpses, yeah. pure grain alcohol, so like, yeah. Yeah, like purely flammable the second you open the thing, mm-hmm. and suspension of mumia. So it's got an emulsifier in it that causes it to mix with the liquid rather than drop to the bottom as a sediment. And uh, this sounds like a great way to clean both the good and bacteria out of your gut. <laughs> Get barnacles off the sides of ships. Yep. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> like, it's a great paint stripper. Yeah, your gut's going to be clean, but at what cost? Yeah, and it's common, and it was commonly prescribed to pregnant women and um, toddlers uh, suffering from teething pain. It's bad on so many fronts. Yep. Because there's nothing that makes you uh, stop throwing up in the morning from morning sickness, like getting blackout drunk. Mm. Um, and there's nothing that stops a toddler crying faster than just sort of making them an alcoholic before they can talk. Yeah. And, and some light cannibalism mm. while that's happening. Yeah. yeah. And this is the top. This is mummy powder. This is the creepiest one, the strangest one, and the one that caused me to rethink everything I knew about <laughs> Western medicine for a while. Mummy powder was a combination of ground-up mummified Egyptian remains and one part or multiple parts of, but not all at the same time commonly, cocaine, heroin, opium, hashish, and in some cases, what we would now consider to be the um, mold equivalent that causes LSD. Oh, ergot. Ergot, yes, thank you. I always know what it does, but I never remember the name. <laughs> um, and you would mix these in multiple parts, or just one part of a uh, very common one was just straight cocaine and mummy powder. Um, and you would snort them, smoke them, put them in your food, put them in your afternoon tea. Mm, just some scones and cocaine. <laughs> yes. Because I, I say, good sir, <laughs> I'll have a bump of mummy. <laughs> Uh, and, and one of those tea cakes in the back <laughs> looks lovely. <laughs> um, and it's not just for tummy aches. Mummy powder was for pre- prescribed for, and this is not the complete list, this is just the list of my favorite things. Back pain, indigestion, heart disease, lung disease, a receding hairline in men, unsightly facial hair in women, an inability to perform one's husbandly duties. Okay. You'd now get a little blue pill. Mm. <laughs> a desire to have children. A desire to no longer be able to have children. Broken bones. Open wounds. And my two personal favorites out of this. A lack of moral fortitude. Okay. That is 1800s doctor's shorthand for narcotics withdrawal. Oh, I thought it meant someone who was cowardly. I was like, well, nope. the might actually help with that. But. Lack of moral fortitude is used as sort of polite parlance in doctor's notes to mean someone who is addicted to or coming down off of addiction to a, a substance. So they're giving them opium yeah, and more cocaine. drugs. Yeah, more drugs to get off the drugs. 
Because, I mean, if, you, if you're on the heroin, there's nothing that sort of levels you out better than the opium. Mm. And if you're sleeping all the time from the opium, the cocaine just really picks you up nicely. <laughs> and a combination of all of them just mellows you out, as we know. <laughs> God. The other one, when it was prescribed to children, was an inability to pay attention to one's studies. ADD. Yes, yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, ADD. The weird thing is, ADD medication, the only difference is that it's a slightly different narcotic now without the mummification. Yes. But th this is the medication that people are getting. It's why the joke that people have been telling for years, the, you know, old-timey doctor being like, Well, your blood's haunted, you should do cocaine about it. Yeah. That's accurate. <laughs> but also with the side of mummy. Yes. <laughs> Don't forget the cannibalism. Mm. So, um, this is why we're always depressed as historians. Like, yes. we know this happened. Yes. We know people who were alive that saw some of this happening. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, it's getting a little better. Like, we're just breaking the beard off of Tutankhamun's death mask now. Yeah, no, yeah. Instead of, you know... I think you're talking about medicine. Completely <laughs> grinding him into pain. Oh, no, I'm never going to say medicine's getting better. <laughs> I was going to say, like, no, no, then they did the same thing with cigarettes. Where they're like, this cures everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm prescribing you cigarettes for your asthma. It's like the steam in a sauna. It helps open them up and allows you to breathe better. And then, like, any medication nowadays, they're like, take this, it's fine. Ten years later, like, so we've done some long-term studies... <laughs> Warning, may cause anal leakage. <laughs> it's really an effect. It is. <laughs> it's um, not a side effect. <laughs> and on that anal leakage note, <laughs> I think that might be us for today. Oh, okay. Alrighty, Rob, well, we'll uh, see you next time with another strange, terrifying, wonderful, or hilarious story from history with mm -hmm. um, the show, which, as you know, is called... They Did What? I'm sorry, They Did What? We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.